I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Taisei Fu. And we're going to start the episode by talking at probably significant length about uh, something we haven't spoken about yet, uh, the Hockey Canada scandal, which of course uh, this week happens to be accompanied by uh, the Jake Rutanen scandal, the Daryl Katz scandal. Um, the Hockey Canada one specifically has been a very big topic in the hockey world for quite a while, but we have uh, yet to speak about it on this podcast. Uh, there are a few reasons for that. Um, I think both of us started to kind of feel like when there was a new scandal that came to light in the world of hockey of this type of magnitude that we had fallen into the habit of just kind of mentioning it, saying it was bad and moving on. Like we were ticking items off a checklist and just doing that kind of surface level stuff just felt just inadequate and, and a waste of time. Uh, so I think we, we both wanted to bring something a little more substantial to the table than that. And I want to start by bringing up something I said when we were talking about uh, Kyle Beach, which was that we only found out about that story because of the courage and determination of a number of individuals. And I said, how many similar things have occurred in the hockey world and in other circles that we haven't found out about? How many of these atrocities will we never know? And both of us agreed because we were able to look at the world in a non-idealist way that the sad answer is very many, without a doubt. There have been very, very many cruel sex crimes committed, lives ruined by people who will never be found out or punished. And once that fact has been well understood, it's pretty difficult to be surprised and taken aback by these horrifying revelations like the actions of some members of the 2018 Canadian World Junior Team, as well as the 2003 Canadian World Junior Team, as well as Jake Furtanen, who has today been found not guilty in court of his crimes, as well as Daryl Katz, who allegedly paid $75,000 to have sex with a 17-year-old child. Another thing I've learned from talking about these horrific events and from observing them dialectically, that is to say, observing the reaction and the reaction to the reaction and the reaction to the reaction to the reaction and so on, is that there should never be any value placed on public statements by organizations or by individuals. I have mostly stopped reading them because I've learned that their true purpose is to appease, to nullify emotions, to cut through anger. I think back to 2020 when a large fuss was being made about which NHL team's official accounts had and had not made some kind of statement about the killing of George Floyd. And I recall being a part of that large fuss. In hindsight, I can see that my energy would have been better spent elsewhere uh, because what material actions have been taken by any team in the NHL to counteract police violence and white supremacy? None. There's been hollow tokenism and performative donations in rare instances and this shouldn't really surprise anyone because, after all, NHL franchises are corporations driven by profit motive and are therefore inherently on the side of police, whether or not they go around flaunting it. And Hockey Canada is cut from the exact same cloth. Yeah, um, that's right. So, yeah, I don't even know really where to begin. Um, but, yeah, this is this is we're talking about an institutional failure um, and a cultural failure on uh, like on, on a level that's, that's beyond, you know, just, you know, an incident here, an incident there. And that's not to minimize these incidents uh, because yeah, you know, the, the fact that they have, the fact that they have on victims. Um, but, you know, if we talk about, you know, hockey, if we look at, if we look at just hockey, um, because obviously there are, there are bigger cultural effects at play. Um, 
you know, this is this, this is this is recess scale. Um, you talk about oh, this has become a big kind of event in the hockey world. Um, well, it's kind of reached beyond that, right? Uh, where you know we see it's on the news, uh, and you know, can, you know, Canadian Parliament is getting involved. We see these hearings; they're going to be taking place even tonight and tomorrow, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's it's really uncovering. Well, you know, maybe not uncovering because I think a lot of us we've been able to you know identify it, uh, but really for for a, a broader public. Um, just the the sheer the sheer scale of the institutional problem that is the toxic culture, hockey culture, uh, and yeah, it's not the product of individual; it's something systemic. Uh, and so, if we dive start to dive into the details, uh, I'll start with um, I'll start with the, the slush fund that it's been uncovered that Hockey Canada has. Um, they use registration money from youth hockey players, from just any hockey player that signs up for a Hockey Canada uh, kind of organizational thing. Um, to to fund uh, was it multi million dollar um, you know slush fund to pay off these uh, you know complainants of sexual uh, these these victims of sexual assault uh, and this is all in an attempt to uh, at the end of the day avoid investigation um, because this way they don't have to you know uh, have insurance come in uh, a pay for it but b most importantly investigate what actually happened and instead uh, they use this money uh, that so basically uh, what we have is you know the public is subsidizing um, this kind of flush fund to, to, to silence it and yeah it, it really just speaks to an institution an institutional attitude of covering up of um, and protecting the brand right and this you know all these public statements um, they really only come after the fact uh, where you know they come to public they come to light you know reporters report on it. Um, but at the end of the day, all these initiatives that they take, that they've taken up to this date, uh, and yet we see this kind of incident and this kind of cover-up happened just as recently as four years ago, where they do nothing. Um, after that, they, they had a, basically a bogus investigation where they didn't require any of the players uh, to cooperate. And then once they could, they, they, they just kind of threw their hands up in the air, said, we can't, oh, we can't identify who the accused are, and sat on it for four years until, you know, this April, where, you know, the victim came out and filed a lawsuit, uh, after which, you know, they finally got up their asses. Uh, and shove some money at the problem, so they wouldn't have that kind of accountability. Uh, so, yeah, it's just you know, and that and that's part of a larger attitude. Um, and yeah, I, sorry, you can take it away from here. All right, I'm I'm glad you brought up external factors outside of just the hockey world because I also I want to bring up something Gary Bettman said not too long ago when asked about hockey culture and whether or not there's a problem with it. And he essentially said no, and that all of the problems uh, like this that hockey faces are merely reflections of problems in society at large. And I actually think he's partially right, but for the wrong reasons. What Bettman is, is trying to do is, is very clearly to dodge criticism as an individual and for the sport as a whole. He's basically saying, uh, we're not going to try to improve things in any way because it's not our fault. Uh, what I would argue is that obviously hockey is influenced by the conditions of the world because literally everything is there's, there's no organization or institution or person or anything that's immune to external forces. That said, there are some particularities of hockey that make it a, an especially effective hotbed, I guess, towards which the worst tendencies of these external forces can be funneled. And the, the biggest part of that unequivocally is the question of economics and how prohibitively expensive it is to play the game. 
as the game gets more and more and more expensive, fewer and fewer people can play it. And all of a sudden, the most vile bourgeois inclinations of exploitation of power become more and more concentrated within the game and the institutions of the game. That is why, in in truly evaluating and trying to understand where this rotten hockey comes from, we can't confine our perspective to just hockey itself. Hockey exists inside an objective world where there is ample rot to go around. And if people can't look outside of hockey, we're we're never going to find solutions to these problems. That's why a lot of well-intentioned people who are horrified by these events and ask, how do we stop this from happening? How do we hold people accountable? End up arriving at very dead-end conclusions. Some of them are reformist conclusions like uh, like uh oh there just need to be more programs that make hockey more accessible and make it cheaper but if this were so plausible it would have happened already and not to mention these isolated instances of initiative initiative can only go so far when they don't have systemic support to back it up there are some some other kinds of idealist conclusions like let's give everyone consent training and just cross our fingers and hope that people get nicer and there are also nihilistic conclusions, like things will always be this way, which of course helps no one. But all these these ideologies lead to dead ends. None of these solutions that are paraded around the mainstream have shown any results. And that's why there's so much despair around these revelations. Bankrupt ideas and bankrupt tactics to fight the poison lead to no results. And that's what leads to despair. Uh, the, the, the truth is that everything is political. And everything is influenced by its dominant economic system, which in this era, of course, is capitalism. Think of it this way. Fans of every major sports league hate the commissioner. They hate the owners. But they still watch because they love the sport. People love sports. And the capitalist class is holding sports back. As uh, some of you might know, I'm a, I'm a member of the International Marxist Tendency. And the reason I, I bring this up, uh, not for any nefarious or ulterior motives it's because it's it's impossible for me to sit here and offer you an honest solution to what i honestly think could solve the rampant sexual violence in the hockey world if i am not offering to you marxist ideas i i firmly believe that it is capitalist corporate bourgeois culture that allows sexual violence to simmer and to be covered up and i firmly believe that under socialism the incentive to hide sexual violence will largely disappear and thereby acts of sexual violence will become increasingly infrequent. I've spent a lot of time as a sports lover and specifically a hockey lover wondering to myself what would happen to this sport after a mass workers revolution. And I have to admit, I see nothing but glorious things for sports in the future. I see a future in which democratic boards made up of players and workers manage their teams. I see sports being run in the interest of the games themselves rather than corporate interests. I can see a world where assault scandals in sports are a distant memory. I see sports returning to their genuine working class roots. I know a lot of you listening maybe can't see it now, especially if you aren't familiar with the ideas of Marxism, but I truly do think this will happen in my lifetime. I, I, I love the sport of hockey now, which is why I talk about it here once a week, but I can't wait to see how much more I'll love it when it is cut loose from the shackles of the bourgeois class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, you look at what's motivating uh, anybody here, uh, whether it's you know Hockey Canada or any, any you know anybody further up uh, in the hockey world, or just in general. It really is you know a, a drive for money for Hockey Canada. They want to pad the bottom line. Uh, you know they want to 
and they want to keep this kind of thing out of the spotlight because it's not good for them financially. They know exactly what's going to happen uh, when this comes to light and the, the kind of toxic hockey culture that they're propping up um, is kind of, you know, is, is bare to, to show for everybody to see. Uh, and yeah, that's why they pour so much money. That's why they have millions and millions of dollars of, you know, money to just throw at these uh, throughout these victims to, to, to shut them up. Basically um, it, it, it is a money driven thing and th- that is their only priority. Uh, and if there was any irk of any, any slice of concern for, you know, basic human dignity uh, and, you know, like safety and just, you know, common sense and any sort of rationality uh, they would have dealt with this properly. But you can see in every step of every step of the way that they have taken, um, they have completely disregarded that uh, in order to, and that, and that's really any of the parties involved in order to protect their their financial interests. Yep, absolutely. Um, should we talk about the sport we love so much now? Should we turn hard towards that? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, so, uh, the biggest trade of the past, however many years happened this week. Um, so this was, this was a late night one. I, we were both still awake for it. We we're kind of night owls, believe it or not. Uh, this was like 15 minutes to midnight, I think when, uh, news of the Matthew Kachuk trade broke. Um, and okay. Th- there's, a, there's a lot we can dive into, but I, I kind of want to start with this cause people are floating around like. Is this the biggest trade of the cap era, or is this the biggest trade since like Weber for Subban? Where do you think this deal stacks up? I'll remind you, first time since I don't know when that two players coming off hundred point seasons were traded for each other. How does this measure up in terms of impact against other trades of the past 20, 30 years? You know, I can't speak to all the way back when, 20, 30 years. Honestly, my grasp of hockey history is is weak, relatively speaking, but I can't remember. Um a trade this impactful, just the, the, the sheer number of players involved, but not only that, the caliber of team involved as well. Um, so yeah, obviously you mentioned the hundred port scores. You mentioned also, you know, Mackenzie Weger in and of itself is a top pairing defenseman is a damn good one at that. And we have a first round pick in there too. Um, is, and, and we're talking about franchises that both made the playoffs, both won their division uh, and Florida won the president's trophy. This is a massive shakeup. And yeah, to, to, I don't think, I have ever seen uh, something to this degree. You look at, you know, Subban for Weber at the end of the day, that is, uh, you know, th- those are both franchise defensemen. Um, but, you know, you, you tack on that. We're, we're talking about, you know, two franchise players plus an A1 defenseman plus a first round pick. Uh, I cannot lay my finger on a on a bigger trade than this one, honestly. The thing that I think surprised most people about it because we were talking a little bit in the days leading up to it when it really started to become, which by the way, maybe one of my coldest takes ever last week when I was like, yeah, Matthew Kachuk's not getting traded. Like I was so like, oh yeah, he'll be like, let's look at the Flames roster next. Obviously Kachuk will be there. And uh, that that went, that went cold so fast. Uh, but then, yeah, I can, I can admit when I've been wrong. Uh, but anyway, so when we were, t- we were talking days leading up to it, like Calgary has no leverage here. I foresee an extremely underwhelming return incoming, especially, you know, you look at Dabrinkit as a comparable. I know Kachuk is, well, clearly after this trade, you know, more higher valued around the league. I don't think it's such a big gap between Kachuk and Dabrinkit. I definitely don't think it's as big as 
as a gap as these the returns they each fetched would indicate. Um, but I thought Calgary would get something similar because they were because they had no leverage, or at least it seemed that way. And I guess their leverage all came from the fact that uh, Matthew Kachuk is exactly the type of player uh, teams really, really want. Um, and of course, you know, there's a lot we could dive into with Huberto and Uyghur, both going into last year, their deals. Did Florida not want to resign them? Did they not want to stay in Florida? So is their value lowered for that reason? Um, there's where, where do you want, where do you want to go? I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Um, well, I guess you hit on the fact that Calgary really had no leverage. We can, we can talk about it for Florida. Uh, let's, let's start there. Well, yeah, why not? Um, that, that is the, like, you know, that, that is the main point here. Um, because yeah, President's Trophy winner and for them, this, this does seem like they fell in love with the player as, you know, I guess other hockey were wont to do as well. Um, and just kind of blew it up and like gave up too much for in a trade in which they had supposedly a lot of the leverage because Calgary had none. Um, you know, they, they're giving up, you know, top line winger in Huberto. First line, first pairing guy in Uyghur, uh, for you know, granted, Kachuk is the best player in this deal, and, and not to mention the first round pick. But that's you know, I don't think it matters for Florida at this point, um, you know, given their given their aspirations. Uh, but yeah, like it, their strategy clearly is we're like there, there's two paths that they could have taken here um, with Huberto and Uyghur as UFA's next year, and you know their their future's kind of up in the air. It's either we go for it this year, we go all out, um, and you know. Fuck it. We'll, we'll see what happens at the if we'll try to resign them. If not, uh, at least we'll have gone for it. Um, or the path that they clearly took here was that we think that our contention window is is longer than just one year. We want it to last. We want you know potentially multiple cups. And to do that, we can't risk losing the level of asset that Huberto and Uyghur combined are, or even just one of them. Uh, and instead, they trade for a better player. And you look at that contract; it's locked in eight years, nine and a half million dollars. Um, they get that kind of security to extend their window. However, this is a big step down in terms of talent, just in terms of, you know, raw, raw volume wise, you're talking about, you know, you're exchanging first line wingers on top of that. You're giving up a first fair defenseman. I struggle how they see to, uh, how, how to see how they're going to replace that kind of production. Just the, the drop off even compared to last year. You know, I can help to compare what, like, especially with this deal with Florida's doing to how they maneuvered, in the 2016 offseason. I don't know if your memory is so fresh on the offseason of the Florida Panthers in 2016, but basically, they had just won the Atlantic Division. Um, you know, a massive step forward after missing the playoffs for who knows how many years in a row. Um, and then they lost in the first round to the Islanders, and they proceeded to go, I guess our team wasn't that good then. I uh, got a new GM in there. They totally revamped their defense. They got rid of, what did they do? They traded Kulikov and whoever else. And they brought in Keith Yandel and Mark Pissick. They made a bunch of changes. They changed their logo that offseason. It was like totally different. Missed the playoffs again the next year. And now, you know, they finally, they, they worked their way back up, back up. They had an amazing season this year. They were scoring goals like nobody's business. Thanks very largely to Jonathan Huberto at 115 points. And uh, they have a disappointing second round getting swept by the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they go, oh, guess that didn't work. Fire the coach, bring in Paul Maurice, uh, trade Jonathan Huberto, trade incredible defense from Mackenzie Weger. I think 
it's fa- fair to call him like a number one defenseman. I think he's Calgary's best one right away. And, you know, bring in Matthew Kachuk, bring in guys like Colin White, Rudolph Balsers, you know, tinker around the edges, and basically go into next year with a totally different look. It's It's crazy how... And I know, you know, it's a different GM in charge, but this team seems to just have no patience to say, we've built a good foundation, we've built a good team, let's give them a few, you know, cracks at the can. It's insane. And I look at Florida's roster now, obviously after, you know, losing a few UFA, notably, you know, Cludger and Mason Marchment, it's going to be hard to come back with exactly the same caliber of team. But if you're in win-now mode, to trade, to make this deal, Maybe you could argue, you know, Kachuk is, you know, an upgrade on Huberdeau. I think that's fair to say. But Mackenzie Weger is the one that really leaves me scratching my head because he is he he I think suffers from the the you know just a couple of turnovers here and there can really sour a lot of people's perspectives on you because he is a monster at even strength offensively and defensively and the past couple years he's really broken out when Ekblad was out for long stretches he was the one who really filled that gap and now without him it's welcome to the top pairing Gustav Forsling and right now Mark Stahl is listed on the second pair on cap friendly yikes um to the point of you know they seems to be an organizational thing um I understand different general manager but at the end of the day who's at the top like calling the shots uh you gotta expect Vinny Viola has you know some say, uh, and sound, really seems like, you know, this kind of move, you need ownership approval. Uh, you're spending that kind of money. You're trading this kind of asset. Um, it seems that he pulled the trigger um, because, you know, a lack of patience. And I cannot say I endorse it. I think we've seen with a whole number of teams, you just look at Tampa Bay, for example, or, or even Colorado the last couple of years. Um, you need a, you, for, to win the cup. You often need a bunch of kicks at the can. Uh, at being uh, like while being a really good team with the same core for a lot of these teams um, like Colorado and Tampa Bay is the same dudes on the team for the most part uh, when it comes to the core guys um, and finally you know one year you happen to break, break through right because you know only one team wins the cup and whatnot so statistically you're not you're not likely to win and you'll probably you know reach a couple of second round disappointments um, but to, to make such a drastic move and yeah to lose such a key piece in Uyghur, um, without really getting much back to supplement that defense. And, you know, the, in terms of cap space, they gain nothing, right? I think they actually lose a bit of cap space. Kachuk is, like, more expensive than Huberto and Uyghur combined this coming year. Um, yeah, I it, I think they're cap-strapped, and I really don't see... Like, it's, it's a clear step down. And, like, I understand wanting to extend the window, but I think it was worth going for it with Uyghur and Huberto. Just for this year, you know, you try to resign them both, do your best. Um, but I think this 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 step down is is just too costly. See, I I don't even hate the idea of like trading Huberto at this point when you're getting someone like Kachuk back, uh, because you know Huberto is going into a contract year, and it's not even necessarily just a matter of oh we might not be able to resign him. It's a matter of like he's what 28 years old and probably asking for 10 million AAV. Is that the type of player with all his, you know, secondary assists and questionable defensive acumen? Is that a smart contract to be giving out? You could argue no. The Uyghur one, though, I think he's, I think he's 27 years old. His AAV is 3.25, so an absolute bargain for this year at least. And I find it hard to believe, if you were being reasonable, you couldn't work out uh, a nice deal. Because Uyghur seems like the type of player who's, you know, 
underrated across the entire league and absolutely ripe for an excellent value contract. I think maybe either Bill Zito or maybe even Vinny Viola fell to the, oh, he turned over the puck a few times, so we got to get him off the team. Yeah, might be a night test thing, which that would fall squarely under. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree 100%, right? That, that Hubert contract is probably going to be pretty gnarly near the end of it uh, for whoever gnarly. signs it. Um, and it's just, and also, you know, he's probably a bit overrated in NHL circles right now um, for, you know, the he he, he does a lot well, um, but he's not a, as a complete player as Kachuk, for example. Um, there are certain holes in his game. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's given up like the, the, a premier defenseman and we go on top of it um, for, you know, what, what at the end of the day is an upgrade at forward. You're not really, you're not adding a forward. Um, you're just kind of upgrading the situation with Kachuk. Uh, yeah, it just, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And for Florida, I don't like the organizational philosophy. The team's still great and whatnot. Uh, but man, yeah, this lack of patience is, it would be even more concerning, uh, would, you know, not only the, the, like the worsening of the roster, especially of the defense, but if you're, if your owner can't stick it out for a few years while you contend, um, I, it's going to be real hard to win a cup. You're going to have to get lucky. Yep. Um, I, I don't, can't really think of a situation where, you know, the positive feelings towards one team just went so out the window with one deal. Or at least towards, you know, how good they could possibly be. Because, oh, yeah, you know, they lost some players in the offseason, but they should still be pretty good. And now this deal, all of a sudden, kind of has people looking at the Panthers lineup being like, what happened? Especially on defense. And uh, they they also don't have a first-round pick till 2026 now, which is insane. Um, the Giroux one is the one I think everyone kind of understands. The Sherratt one. It's one nobody understood. By the way, I saw Dom decisions today, like worst contracts in the league thing. Tyler Sagan was number one. Um, there were two players on the list who actually were listed as having a uh, negative market value. One was Mark Edward Vlasic, estimated <laughs> like negative $100,000 market value. Ben Sherratt was negative 500000 And uh, I think that was the only contract signed this offseason that was on the list. Um, and for a player who's, you know, Relative to the other names who are, you know, Tyler Sagan, Seth Jones, Carlson, Vlasic, we're all making very high numbers. It's kind of exceptional that Ben Frott was able to be on. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I think what I'm trying to say is maybe one of these three first round picks that Florida traded away uh, are defensible, which was the Giroux one for her rental. Yeah. Uh, this one, you remove it from the trade. I'm. Looking at it going, that's a much bigger risk for Calgary, but I see what you're doing there. You throw it in, I'm like, I don't really see how this could go bad for the Flames. Yeah. Uh, by negative 500000 you mean a team, if they were to get fair value, should get a $500,000 cap credit for taking on Ben Sherratt and playing him regularly? Is that the implication? I, I believe, indeed, that that is the implication, that he is, you know, you'd be better off with a replacement-level player. Yeah. Well, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned Calgary. We can move there. Uh, they were in such a pickle. Uh, they had their hands completely tied. Um, because, yeah, this kind of came, this kind of the situation for them when it comes to their core from last year devolved so quickly. Uh, we talked about, you know, Johnny Gaudreau seemingly not knowing what he wanted to do until like the day he signed and decided to like screw off and go to Columbus. 
Um, it seemed like Kachuk was the same way, and I think that that uh, spur of the moment Gaudreau decision certainly influenced his desire to stay um, because it was not shortly after. I I also had a bad like I had a terrible read on that whole like club elected salary arbitration thing. Um, I thought it was like oh they they have hope they want to try to resign him, but no, it was just so like a team can't offer sheet him, and so now they can trade him easier or whatever the hell it is. Um, so yeah, I was also under the impression he would he would be a flame this year at the very least. Um, but yeah, not now. Uh, what they've got their hands on is an elite forward, right? They like obviously Kachuk and Gaudreau are both out the door. Um, but for, considering that Gaudreau left for nothing, what they replaced him, what they replaced those two with, are Huberto, who's a bona fide, you know, elite first line winger. Maybe not the complete package, uh, but still very much a first line winger. Uh, and Mackenzie Weger at three and what a half million dollars. Just slot him. He's like their fifth highest paid defenseman. Slot him in. First bearing. Uh, and a first round pick to top it off. You had Cole Schwint. Whatever. Um, but roster wise, I think, you know, you I think, you know, when it comes to you know top line talent, yes, there's still a bit of a hole with projecting Tyler Pafoli to be in that role. But all things considering, uh, especially, you know, the the, the lack of levers that they have, to to, to look at this roster. And to argue that the defense a improved by quite a bit, and b, uh, you know, the forward core is as if you only lost one of the two, is a big, a massive double. It's a massive win for the Flames organization um, because we thought their window was potentially closed um, and that they were this would no longer be a playoff team. Um, but no, this is certainly still that, um, especially given the strength of of the team and of the coaching. Yeah, I mean, we were so ready to talk about this as a, the catastrophic offseason for Calgary. And they managed to salvage stuff out of it from, from this deal. And I don't know if you saw, I think Huberto and Uyghur did their, like, you know, welcome to Calgary press conferences together. And they both said, I'm open to signing long-term in Calgary, which is a very good sign. Especially when if they weren't, you'd expect them to say, oh, I'm just here to play hockey and we'll see what happens or whatever. You know, the fact that they're saying I'm open to signing here is nice. Now, as I kind of mentioned before, giving Huberto what other teams are probably willing to give him, maybe not the best idea in the world. But honestly, even if, if you sign Mackenzie Weger to a nice long-term deal, I think you call it an absolute win for Calgary. Um, for this season, I honestly, I see Huberto as like the immediate Johnny Gaudreau replacement. They play very similar styles. He's going right onto that top line and left wing where Gaudreau was obviously that means there's there's no real Kachuk replacement which is tough you know obviously um but the defense saw a massive upgrade from Eric Goodbranson to Mackenzie Weger for to a replacement level defenseman to a number one defenseman that's quite the leap and I already think that Calgary's defense was quite underrated they don't they didn't have any big names I guess they still really don't but I mean Noah Hannafin very solid top pairing defenseman. Mackenzie Weger, excellent top pairing defenseman. Chris Tanev, defensive stalwart. Rasmus Anderson and Oliver Shillington overall provide positive value despite their, despite their defensive warts every now and then. And Nikita Zadorov, yeah, he's a he's a number six. He's a, he's a good number six, I'd say. So I think, uh, I mean, you know, I guess all of that is dependent on injury luck, which they had much of on in their entire team this past year. They have some decent depth pieces too, you know, Valimaki, Nicholas Malosh, who we talked about last week or two weeks ago. So I think um, 
I think Calgary has a really nice shot, despite their losses, to to repeat as Pacific champions in the regular season. 100%. And they have nine fucking million dollars of cap space to work with still. Kadri. Right? Go get Kadri. Go get Kadri. Um, I don't know. Try to swing some well, trade. St- they do have to still sign Manjapani and Shillington, which will take up a, a bite of that. Um, but they still have room to add for sure. Yeah, 100%. And you, you add on top of that, they have contracts that are clear anchors. Um, you talk about Lucic, you talk about Monaghan, um, and if you're really in a bind, that's like $11 million there. Obviously, it's, gonna, it's not going to be cheap to unload those, unload those contracts. Um, but, you know, there's there's it's not like a lot of rosters that are cap-strapped here in the NHL, where it's like, ooh, where do I move a piece? Wherever I remove it, it, it hurts. It hurts. Um, you talk about like Vegas or something like that. Um, but with Calgary, you, you can see where you might, you, if you wanted to, like kind of like a pull, pull in case of emergency, um, you could generate cap space because yeah, it's just like you, I looked at the cap friendly page. It's just like a super cap efficient team. Um, you add, you add on top of that, the Huberto and Weir contracts just for this year. Um, and they are like, there's a lot of talent on the team and they are still like with lots of cap room to spare. So, you know, wouldn't be surprised if they, uh, yeah, if they if they continue to add, I think Kadri's a name. Um, it's risky, certainly, if we're talking about Kadri. Uh, but I think it's it's between for in my eyes for Kadri, it's you go back to Colorado or you go to Calgary or you go to a shit team. Um, I think the first two are certainly more appealing, uh, and because those are really the only two teams that are left that have the cap space that are a playoff team. Calgary really is like tale of two cities when it comes to cap allotment because they have some serious bargains on the team like you know Huberto Uyghur, Lindholm, Toffoli, uh, Tanev I think is fair to say then on the other hand you have you know Monahan, Lucic, Michael Backlund's making over market value uh, it's an odd picture Kevin Rooney there's another one even Zadorov that was like a weird contract to give him like almost yeah. four million dollars that's much that's a lot not as much as Goodbranson though Amen. Um, <laughs> did you see? Did you see the video? Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets Twitter posted four hours ago a video, three and a half minutes. Yeah. For those still wondering how the Goudreau signing actually went down, dot dot dot. It's like a behind the scenes front office type thing. Okay. I, I didn't watch. Did it. you watch this? No, I did not. Okay, so basically it starts uh, with assistant GM. I'm pulling out Josh Flynn, like. They're just getting off the phone with Eric Goodbranson's agent, finalizing the deal. And the guy says, so four by four for Goodbranson. Have <laughs> we been all saying it wrong this whole time? But anyway, and then skip ahead, I don't know, probably an hour and a half or so. And Rick Nash, who works in the front office, uh, says uh, Goodbranson, uh, or wait, Someone just got off the phone with Dorse, who I'm still not clear on Dorse is, but basically says, Good Branson's buddy from Calgary last year is dying to come to Columbus. And so everyone was like, Dude, oh, was Good Branson actually the link? Was he actually the one, <laughs> like the reason Goudreau? He like chatted, like, you know, and then they worked out the deal very fast. Goudreau apparently, they were all like, Oh, he wants to come here. Oh, that's crazy. I guess let's make a deal happen. And then, <laughs> what a mess. And then they skipped. They skip ahead, like they don't talk about the negotiations. They don't show that in the video, but basically they end up showing Josh Flynn, assistant GM, being like, "Uh, yeah, our owner's like on a flight now, pen- talking to Goudreau's agent, I think, like pending approval. Uh, you know, we'll sign the deal." And he called someone else. I, I think it's someone else in the front office. He was at home. He was like, 
hey, guess what? Uh, as long as the owner gives it the okay, we're signing Johnny Gaudreau. It's like, whoa, crazy. This does not. This is not. This does not bear the hallmarks of a uh, of an organization that prepared it. Prepared a serious pitch. This <laughs> Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, we talked. You said, you said he fell yeah. into their laps. That's exactly what you said. Yeah, that's what we said last week. We talked extensively about how like it's kind of a bad look for Columbus that they seem so fucking surprised that he would come to them. Um, that they barely seem prepared to like write the contract in and of itself. Like, man, they had to ask the owner for approval. Like, which implies that the you know the owner wouldn't have seen this coming, which means he wasn't briefed on this possibility, which means they didn't see this possibility coming. Um, they did not at all. Um, yeah, so so falling into his laps, into their laps, is uh, exactly right. Um, you know, now that we're talking about Columbus, is this the is this a segue into the other major news of the week? Or is there Absolutely, more? I think okay. it is. Okay, home run. Uh, well, I also on this, I also want to say it's kind of funny. Like, you know, Rick Nash said Goudreau's dying to come to Columbus. It's like he just decided in like half an hour, like, yeah, this is the spot. I'm dead set. <laughs> Me thinks he was. Uh, that was a bit of hyperbole by uh, by Rick Nash. Um. Oh, before we move on, what do you think on that contract? Eight by nine and a half. That's that's that seems like it'll age for well for Kachuk. Yeah. Oh, we didn't even mention that it was the first sign-in trade in NHL history. Oh, is that the case? Did you, yeah, did you see this part? Because Florida wouldn't have been eligible to sign him for eight years because mm-hmm. he wasn't on their team or reserve list on, at the deadline. So Calgary signed him and tra- then traded him like a sign-in trade. And apparently that had never been done before. Yeah, no, I, I figured it was a sign-in trade, but I hadn't realized it had never been accomplished in the NHL. So... Okay, a step toward the NBA, I guess. Just kidding. It seems it seems a bit premature to say that. Uh, yeah, so that's that's good. Until he's thirty-two, like man, that's uh, if you're a player and you're a superstar level Kachuk, like don't you want to bet on yourself with a shorter, shorter term contract that doesn't instead of like one that takes you till your your decline begins at the age of thirty-two. It kind of seemed like things were trending that way, but it, now I feel like there's, you know, things have fallen back to the way they were before. And I see now, like, Taylor Hall signing a one-year deal was really just, like, you know, the the COVID squeeze of 2020. And players really just tend to prefer that security. Yeah, I guess so, eh? Because, you know, like, we, we definitely foresee a revenue bump with a new TV deal coming for, for the NHL in a few years. Uh, and you know, that, that player debt slowly getting paid off. Um, so probably around year four is where we're going to see, you know, the flat cap end. And I, I project a, a fast increase if things go as they, as they are planned to. So in which case, uh, this contract will be a bargain when he's like 30 and still in his prime. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I honestly, the, the contract itself. Like, I barely even thought about it because I was like, it has to be expected after you, you know, gave up yeah. the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky to acquire him. Yeah. No, but so, so yeah, but I still feel like nine and a half for eight years, huh, kind of low. Um, anyways, on to. Speaking of Erica Branson. There we go. Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, shall I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do go it. For it. <laughs> I guess. Um, Columbus, uh, were made total clowns out of themselves this week. <laughs> um, they they really butchered things with their with two deals, one trade and one signing. First, 
It was the Patrick Line signing. This player, who had a bounce back year, this is he drafted second overall. What what did he score? Like almost forty goals in his rookie year. It's like you know this next Ovechkin, whatever everyone's saying. And then of course he fell off in Winnipeg when he's in Columbus. This year the bounce back year, which was shortened due to to injury for him, he scored at a thirty eight goal pace, which is very nice. Combine this uh, with the fact that he drives no play at even strength and he is approaching defensive liability territory. And yet, four years, $8.7 million per year. This is decidedly an overpay um, for someone who is, you know, he's in his prime now pretty much. And, you know, the big warts in his game have not healed up over time. Compare that to the amazing Oliver Bjorkstrand, who is better, is just straight up a better player than Patrick Laine in every way, making $5.4 million against the cap, drives play super well, defensively super well, super great as a winger. Um, and, you know, for, for, for wingers to really shine defensively uh, is not extremely common. And they got back a third and a fourth round pick for him? Are you kidding me? Oliver Bjorkstrand is is worth at least a first-round pick. I really do think so. And if this is the best offer you can get for him, and assuming Patrick Laine, as an RFA, could have gotten way more, the decision, to me, is so clear. You, tr- you trade Patrick Laine, who is worse, who's going to cost more, and who you're going to get more for. This was just... A, they poorly evaluated both players, and they poorly managed their assets. Yeah, it seems like every choice that they made that led to the Bjorkstrand uh, trade was was decidedly poor. Whether it's signing Good Branson, whether it's giving Line that contract, whether it's deciding to trade Bjorkstrand and not like maybe eating some assets, trading some away to you know trade away Gustav Nyquist for example, and decide no, mm-hmm. instead we should trade away the twenty seven year old who's in who's, who's in his prime, as you said, great defensively. But also generates offense like he's the lead. He's he has the most goals on the team. Three years running, all right. And you traded him away. Well, I for didn't even realize that third and fourth round pick uh, when he had one of the like he had a great contract. Five point four million dollars is certainly reasonable for four more years uh, for what he brings. You know, a bona fide, guaranteed top six guy, and a damn good one at that on your second line. Um, yeah, it just it almost feels like a cap dump. You're cap dumping a guy basically. Uh, and you get, you know, something two minimal mid-round picks in return. Uh, that's, that's just terrible. Terrible. Uh, I cannot believe that the conclusion that they came to was we need to trade away Oliver Bjorkstrand for basically nothing uh, at his contract. This is not even a situation where it's like, oh, he's got a year left. He's probably going to walk in UFA. No, he had four years left. When I saw that, I fucking lost my mind. Are you kidding me? That's, that's, that's you know, think until he's 31, that's certainly not an unreasonable age. Uh, that is cost certainty that is worth its weight in gold in this flat cap era and, and to trade it away for what they did is, is criminal not to mention yeah that line of contract is that uh, too much you look at any of his comparables all basically all the players are around them are better um at 8.7 fucking million dollars for a winger no less uh and yeah all those flaws that you mentioned doesn't drive play terrible defensively um all he really does is kind of score goals which yeah he does well but you know, when it comes to total package, yeah, Oliver Brookshan is much more valuable 
especially considering that contract, which, uh, yeah, you're paying like three and a half million dollars less for Brooksran than you are for Line for the same term. Every team in the league should be kicking themselves right now for this one, for missing out on this, I'm saying. Yeah. And it's a similar thing to uh, the patch ready deal to Carolina. It was like, why didn't you call us? You know, I just, whenever I see an extremely, a particularly lopsided trade like this, uh, that's what I think of. Like, like Dallas, there's one. They got tons of cap room. Well, actually, they still need to re-sign Jason Robertson, so they don't have a crazy amount. But there are lots of teams with the cap space to make this work that should have and probably would have been willing to give up. Hey, we'll give you two third rounders. How does that sound? Yeah, absolutely. And so this let us be like, you know, we see this all the time, and it's just it's a cautionary tale for any of these teams, for Columbus, for the teams that didn't trade for him, um, that, you know, all these all these bad contracts they give to, you know, bottom-pairing guys, your Eric Goodbranson's, even, like, you know, fucking Elvis Merzlikens, that's being reckless. That's being reckless with your cap space. Uh, even when you're a rebuilding team, nobody thinks Columbus is going to contend anytime soon, right? Uh, but you can very quickly, especially with a flat cap, find yourself at the limit and... You know, for Columbus, a team that's not ready to contend is under no pressure to trade away Brookstrand other than the cap. They give them up for nothing because of these bad contracts that they should have otherwise not had and they should have been able to fit Brookstrand even if you did keep lining. Um, and for these other teams, if you had been smarter, you could have had a free patch already. You could have had Bjorkstrand for like two-thirds, right? Uh, so, you know, get smarter. You you really do see, it's not, it's not only, oh, I got to trade this player away because I'm up to the cap. There's also an opportunity cost clearly attached and there's nothing quite like it that illustrates it than you know these kind of trades on uh, the kraken we're on the winning end of this i'm a lot more excited to watch them this year than i was last year um because last year after the expansion draft we were talking about there was you know oh could they make the playoffs eh, maybe not it's kind of a weak division of course they disappointed on all fronts but one thing we did say after the expansion draft slash going into the year was well they have no offensive punch but at least their defense and goalies seem pretty good. Of course, we were wrong about the goalies because Phil Grubauer and Chris Dreger both had miserable seasons. Uh, and now, as for the defense, Mark Giordano has been traded away. Uh, Jamie Alexiak is the best defenseman. So I think we're looking at an opposite thing where, well, their defense and goaltending uh, leaves much to be desired, but at least their forwards are pretty good. It's like We've seen a, a total 180 in just a year. Um a lot of that is, you know, Matty Beniers and Shane Wright will probably both be in the NHL this year. Exciting young talent. Uh, Jaden Schwartz was not, uh, well, he was on the team all last year, but he wasn't picking the expansion draft. Who's the Burakovsky? That's when they signed this offseason. Andre Burakovsky, very nice top six offensive winger, and Oliver Bjorkstrand. Um, all of a sudden, the forward group has a totally different makeup than it did at the start of last season. And, uh, Martin Jones is in the mix too. So now instead of two bad goalies, you have three bad goalies and increases the chance that one of them will be, you know, passable. And all of a sudden the crack and maybe I really don't think they'll make the playoffs uh, with uh, how the defense and the goalies look. Honestly, they signed Justin Schultz to play on their second pairing. Now they have like, honestly, I might go as far to say like one defenseman who I think is good. Jamie Alexiak, like Vince Dunn, Adam Larson, Justin Schultz, Carson Soucie, William Borgen. I'm comfortable with none of them on the ice, honestly. But I think the talent is in the forward group now. For them to be exciting, make some noise, get fans excited. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know if they'll make any noise. If I, I, man, even the forward core, if I just look at it in a back, it's not that good. I find it hard to be, or at least I don't think it's very good. I find it hard to be. Are you not a Matty Beneers believer? In his rookie season with 10 games of experience, man, I find it hard to kind of, you know, bet the farm on uh, on a big jump from the Seattle forward core based off. Of, yeah, your number one center is is who? Is it Matty Beneers now? Is it Yanni Gord? You got like, you got these your four centers. You know you got Yanni Gord, Matty Beneers, Shane Wright, Alexander Wenberg. That's a great that's, one, two, three, four. That's, that's, that's fine. a well. That's okay. Fine. I guess great is great is overselling it. It yeah. is. It is. I'll I'll tell you what. All three of those centers would are definitely excellent third line centers. How about that? <laughs> it's decidedly okay, and that's exactly right. There's yeah. there are there's no first line center here. There's no second line center. That's not to speak of the potential. But currently, as it stands, this upcoming season, I do not like that. I don't. I don't like those forwards. Period. Um, that first line still stinks. Um, and you know, you get some nice like top six pieces in Burakovsky and Brookstrand. But that's really all that's left. Like that's all. Like that's really that's all that's there. Like you know, you know, Jared McCann's a nice piece. Sure. Yeah. But like that's it. Like fuck, man. Like is it Jaden Schwartz, Jordan Everly, man? That's like. like that's that's what I'm supposed to get inspired about. Like, that's not it. Like, that's top line shit right there for Seattle. And so I'm not buying. It. I am not buying it for a for a minute. I I get the hype in like five years. Sure, man, go go wild. Maybe in the last like when you got you got Bjorkstrand in the last year of his contract, Burakovsky uh, in like three years. Maybe that they'll be finally be good um, with Beniers and Wright coming along and whatever prospects that they have. But currently, the current iteration I think is still uh, fucking bad. Even if it's just the forwards. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe I think one reason I, in general, feel slightly better about where the Kraken stand as an organization is because they actually have like a normal amount of players under contract now. Uh, because <laughs> last year, you know, we talked about how they had like 17 forwards under contract in the entire organization, and now this that number has gone up to. Let me count real quick. Dun, dun, dun. 27 which is like standard you know after they've signed some minor, they've signed Jesper Froden and Austin Paganski and Cameron Hughes and John Hayden and Andrew Potterowski and Billy Petman a bunch of minor leaguers to actually fill out their organization in a normal NHL looking way so that they don't look like a total joke when you look at their franchise depth chart on paper yeah that's fair if that makes you feel better personally I still am at the same point um but now they got Shane Wright. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, the only thing that's kind of moved the needle is that they acquired Shane Wright. Yeah, they took advantage of Columbus. They signed a nice free agent, Burakovsky. Bjorkstrand moves the needle in a big way. And Burakovsky uh, yeah. as well. In a big way? I don't know about a big yeah, way. Bjork- as much Bjorkstrand, as a second-line forward Bjorkstrand. can. Bjorkstrand is a first-liner. He is okay. the best forward on this team, I think. Yes, that's true. That Those things don't have to – they're not, like, mutually inclusive, right? Uh, I think, I think he. I think he was a first line winger on Columbus too. I think he belongs on the first line on a regularly normal good team. He belongs on the first line on a mediocre to downright bad NHL team. I think he, ideally uh, you put him I on think the second you're line. It. You're underselling him. I, I think you know put him on. Obviously, it depends on like the depth chart of whatever specific team we pick. But I think in theory, you could absolutely construct a team. That wins a Stanley Cup with Oliver Bjorkstrand on the first line. 
I think that's a stretch. Well, it, the rest of the team better be damn fucking good. If Brooke Stranger, you better well, be really, really with deep. Tom Wilson on the first line, so maybe that's not even saying much, but... Yeah, sure, but, like, that's not Seattle at all. So... What I'm trying know, to say is Brooke Stranger's really good, and he's going to make the Kraken a lot better than they were in their first year. There. Oh, How's that? Okay, he could be really good, but I don't think... You know what I mean? Like, how many points does he bring to this basement-ass-looking team? Like, uh... I think he brings them a long... But, well, it's hard to tell because, like, wins above replacement end up, you know, manifesting in, like, a small way. It's like the superstars is, like, three wins, you know? Sure. So. So you might say you two. Look, we look at the, you look at the sum of the parts. Team's look at, shit. you know, Bjorkstrand, Burakovsky, Beniers, yeah. Shane Wright, all added to the mix. Goaltending that can't possibly be any worse than it was last year. I think we're looking at a team <laughs> that finishes 21st in the league okay. or thereabouts. All right. I'll take, I'll take the uh, the under. As in, like, I think they'll do worse than that. Um, okay. Is, wait, did we, say, did we say something? Did we say something recently about like trying to find something to, to bet on, and there were going to be some kind of stakes? Yeah, that sounds like vaguely familiar. Rings what a bell. Was it? We were like, oh, we when we find something to bet about, this will be the, what the stakes are. But oh, I can't remember it at all. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't remember. What I'm going to search for our WhatsApp now. I'm okay. going to try and find. We'll find it. But uh, man, I just. Your your argument was the goalie couldn't possibly be worse, and they paid Martin fucking Jones two million dollars, two million dollars for Martin Jones. That's unhinged. And they do you still think you yeah. really think they're going to be worse than what was their team save percentage last year? It was Sub like nine hundred. I know it was like eight ninety three or something. You really yeah. think I could possibly be that bad again? Yes. Yes. Wow. Flat out, period. I, I think that's extremely unlikely. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, you you, you put him up a few points. Is it still a bad? I can't find anything about a bet. Bad goaltending tandem slash trio, absolutely. So you know, they it's just I, something about it, man. Something about Seattle. I do not trust that management group. Wolf for one second. This trade doesn't move the needle at all. Shane Wright's pick doesn't move the needle at all for me. Um, I just man, like what, what's his name again? Fucking uh, the guy from Don Waddell. Uh, don't trust him. Don't trust him to, to correct the ship because he got the ship here no, in the first place. Or what else, Carolina? This is Ron Francis. Oh right, wrong former Carolina guy. Um, yeah. yeah, Ron Francis. His whole his whole policy that's gone up to to this point. The the cap nonsense, whatever the fuck side deals or the lack of them. Just I don't think he's a good GM. He's not Agreed. doing it correctly. I, I agree with you. I'm not. I don't have faith that he's gonna build a championship team. I said I think they'll finish in, in 21st in the league. Not exactly a glowing endorsement. Fair enough. Okay. Honestly, that might be the most we talk about Seattle all year. If you think about it, uh, I'd be disappointed if they're as irrelevant this year as they were in their first one. They're going to be. There, there is nothing about this team that screams relevance at I all. Know, I think Man. I think Beniers and Shane Wright could could turn out to be like the super fun rookie duo that everyone's buzzing about. I, I could see it happening. Yeah, I, I that's I guess that's the really the only way. Uh, and even then, like you know, rookie a good rookie season is 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 like the, the bar is lower. So they still like, <laughs> they still won't be that good, man. Um, even twenty first seems okay. like a stretch. That's that's my take. Book it. Okay, we'll see. You just, just you wait. Will. Yeah, just you wait. Uh, all right, let's do some more quick hits. Um. Here's a, we were just talking about Columbus. Here's a former Blue Jacket, Pierre-Luc Dubois, signed an extension with Winnipeg this week. One year, $6 million. 
basically biding his time there before he hits the open market and says, Hey, Montreal, come sign me. And Montreal is able to do so at a tremendous bargain. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, inevitably doesn't live up to the hype and is a major disappointment. Yep, that's about right. Uh like what, what's I can see it like, so clearly. He was a hundred percent. It's completely going to manifest itself. Um, yeah, with Dubois, well, he was at the draft, and the rumor was that he thought he might be traded, but like he came out with a statement or whatever the fuck. He's like, no, I let my bank invited me to go to the draft, uh, and I just wanted to go or whatever the hell it is. Uh, and but uh, I think it was his agent that didn't, didn't the agent say something about like wanting to get traded or Montreal or something like that. So. You know, I'm sure there's truth. To this. I'm sure the bank did invite him, uh, but you know, <laughs> they, it really, it really does reek of, you know, accept the qualifying offer twice over, and then make your way to Montreal at the age of 26. Um, yeah, it seems like Winnipeg's in a bind, and it's this is this is one where they don't have any leverage, uh, other than the fact that you know they have his rights for this year, next season. Um, yeah, they, they can really do nothing but trade him to Montreal, and I think Montreal knows that too. Uh, so yep. cats out of the bag there. Uh, yeah. That, that article on the, it basically said Dubois agent. This was before he signed said, uh, Dubois would love to play for Montreal. I'm allowed to say that cause he's not under contract. That's basically exactly <laughs> verbatim what he said. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Which is true. And Kent Hughes said, cause he didn't want to tamper. was like, Oh, if, uh, if a young big center, were to become available, we would definitely be interested. You know, that type of thing. So, obviously, there's mutual interest. Obviously, it's going to happen one day. I'm, I'm, you know, all signs are pointing that way. Uh, and I, I do think Winnipeg, knowing this, is going to try to trade Dubois to Montreal before he just leaves in the open market. Because that's a smart thing to do. And I think Montreal knows this, and Montreal has a leverage. And Montreal may end up, you know, coming out on the winning side of this deal whenever it does happen because I think they also have leverage in saying we could wait. We don't have to trade him. We're not contending. Um, we we can just kind of sit around, wait for him to walk here in two years' time when maybe at that point we'll be on the upswing. So I, I don't see Winnipeg coming out of this as winners. But also for Montreal, Honestly, personally, I wouldn't be so eager to go after this guy who's kind of feels like he's just toiling around and whining about not being in Montreal. You know, that doesn't really appeal to me. Yeah, the vibe isn't great. But, you know, uh, that, the thing is, if you do trade for him by, you know, by trade, you better fucking win the deal. There, you better. Because um, there's just, you, you have all the leverage and you can wait. So, you know, but I can see, you know, absolutely foresee, you know, an overeager GM going out, I can't use in particular, but just any generic GM, uh, and overpaying for the guy because, oh, hometown guy, whatever the fuck, he wants to play here. Let's get him here fast. Whatever, whatever. You don't want to wait two years, even though you, as an organization, the Habs absolutely can. Uh, I could see it happening. So I'm just saying, you know, as a caution, if you do trade for the guy prematurely, you better not be giving up much at all because, yeah, he's just winding his way over into you know, unrestricted free agency. So yeah, he's not worth whatever, you know, market value it is either. Cause uh, yeah, it's not good vibes with this whole situation. Um, just kind of complaining his way through the media. If I'm Montreal, I'm going, we'll give you Christian Dvorak, Emil Haneman and a second round pick, something like that. 
Yeah, sure. Even Getting that fr- seems like. I, a whole honestly, lot of I, I don't want you know. I, I needed. Yeah, well, I mean, what's what's Hayneman in the second round pick really? You know, B level sure. prospects. Yeah, but like, why not keep it? You know, second round picks a lottery ticket. Uh, I I think the point is there's just no rush to get this guy in, man. And it's like exactly. Uh, like like what? Oh, he changes his mind. He signs a long term co- like contract, whatever, in Winnipeg and wherever it's somewhere else. Who cares? Too bad. Yeah. So what? He's not that special, man. Like, uh, I get like, oh, he's got it. He wants to play here, but like, you know, didn't he want to play in Winnipeg or whatever? Like, he just wanted to get out of Columbus, and he'll be happy then. But clearly not. Now he wants to go only to Montreal. So like, uh, just give it. Don't get too excited, man. And if he goes elsewhere, let him. Not worth the hassle. I don't know if I mentioned. Did I mention on here that I uh, after subscribing to elite prospects just to get the draft guide i canceled my subscription and then i subscribed to a tier of j fresh's patreon so i could see the player cards have i mentioned that you did not mention it on the podcast no all right well i'm going on right now because i'm curious to see what pierre dubois player card looked like so i'm just looking at his stats and i know he was very disappointing right after coming over in the deal from columbus but this year the service level numbers are actually better than i thought they were he scored uh, 28 goals and uh, 32 assists for a 60-point season, 81 games. And the uh, this player card, more or less what I expect. Very good even-strength offense in the 90th percentile. Uh, also very good on the power play, 85th percentile. Uh, the even-strength defense is uh, 20 per, 20th percentile. So a weakness for sure. Uh, overall, though, it's a, it's a 73. So this guy... You know, is second line center more so what people expect. No, no big surprises on this player card, um, but also not someone you want to sell the farm for. Obviously, yeah, exactly. He's an asset that's undeniable, but you know, let's not. This is not a franchise center. This is uh, a guy who will fill a role for you capably. Um, yeah, that's that's Pierre Dubois. Uh, moving over. Speaking to- of uh, speaking of of players who some had rank. In, in the top three in the 2016 NHL draft, Jesse Pugliarvi signed a new deal too. But one pick after Dubois, of course. Well I was surprised. I saw an Elliot Freeman tweet that started with Jesse Pugliarvi. I was like, oh, here's the trade. But no, uh, it sticks around. Contrary to what Ken Holland appeared to say at you know his end of year press conference about, oh, we got to figure out if he's a part of our future, which I guess they haven't done yet, really. One year is not such a great commitment. Um, but you know, despite the surrounding noise, one year, three million, smart for Pugliarvi, very good value considering what he provides. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like you know, cooler heads prevailed over in Edmonton because, uh, yeah, this this was like uh, you know a steal, a bargain of a trade waiting to happen with Pugliarvi because it really did seem like he he has worn out his welcome in Edmonton for no particular reason, because um, he's a damn good player. Uh, but yeah. Nope, looks like they got him under contract. Three million dollars is, is uh, is honestly a damn good deal. Um, the only issue is, can uh, can you convince your own management that you want him to stay? Because this seems like a player who sh- you should want to st- stick around. Um, but you know, still seems like you know only a one year commitment. He might be on his way out, uh, sometime soon, and that's not a good thing because it seems like still they're selling low because Edmonton's low on the guy and publicly low about it too. You know what I just realized? Yeah. If Pugliarvi 
got traded or gets traded soon, then that would leave only two of the top 11 picks in the 2016 draft who had not been traded. Austin Matthews and Clayton Keller. Line A, traded. Dubois, traded. Pugliarvi, we know would be traded in this scenario. Ulevi, traded. Kachuk, traded. Alex Nylander, traded. Sergachev, traded. Tyson Jones, traded. Logan Brown, traded. 13th pick, Jake Bean, also traded. 15th pick, Luke Cunnan, also traded. Twice. What's up with that? What's the, what's the deal? <laughs> Uh, I I don't know. Just a very mobile draft class is my analysis. Even even without like Nomadic. even without the trade uh, that that haven't happened yet, still feels like a lot for like a draft that happened what six years ago. So like everybody, nobody's hit UFA status yet. Right, everybody's still like yeah. two years away, two years away from 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 uh, from from that free agency. So yeah, just a lot of movement. I guess it, the teams weren't quite satisfied is the takeaway for a lot of I remember there was something similar with the 2010 draft, and that was also only six years later after Hall was traded. People were looking like uh, all the top six had been traded at that point. Hall, Sagan, Goodbranson, Ryan Johansson, Nino Niederreiter, and Brett Connolly. Uh, Now looking at even later, let's see how far we can go down. Uh, Jeff Skinner traded. Alexander Burmistrov. I know he wasn't on the Thrashers' his whole career. I don't know if it was a trade, but whatever. Michael Granlin (laughs) traded. Dylan McElrath. I know he's not on the Rangers anymore. I'll tell you that much. Jack Campbell's been traded. Cam Fowler, he's the only one still on the Ducks. We got to, all the way down to number twelve. What? <laughs> Which draft was this? Like twenty ten? Okay. Well, to be fair, yeah. to be fair, it's been a minute since twenty. <laughs> I, I know. The, the I know. evaluation is to be made. What? Like six years? Like in twenty sixteen? Um, oh, which is conveniently the draft that we're talking about. Uh, but, but yeah, that's uh, that is that is enough. And like you know, Jacob Chikrin. That's number 16 who's possibly going to be get traded in the summertime in the future. So, uh-huh. yeah, I guess... I, well, just, imagine I mean, if, just imagine if Alex Dobrynkit went in the top 15 too, like he should have in hindsight. Yeah, I think the takeaway is that it ended up being not such a strong draft class, really. I mean, like, aside from Austin Matthews, everyone's kind of overwhelmed, uh, uh, underwhelmed. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Except like, Kachuk. Kachuk, you know, McAvoy, obviously. And, and there are your hits, like there are in every draft. But, like, overall, especially you look at that first round, um, there aren't as many hits, you know, as you see in in a standard draft. It really there is a dearth of it, um, and I think that's why ex- they're they're, ex- they're they become expendable pieces at the end of the day, right? Yeah, uh, it is. You know, near the top is you know Line A, Dubois, Pouliarvi, Uolevi have all disappointed to one degree or another. Alex Nylander as well. So, I, I suppose you're onto something with that one. Yeah. All right. Although the although the draft that did come right after uh, has like way more top end disappointments. And who's been okay? Wait, I was t- okay. Nolan Patrick. Cody, never mind. I was about to say there hadn't been as many trades, but there have been like there have been a number. Just yeah. forget I said that. Anyway, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, our last thing before we do, guess who? Sharks hire their new coach, David Quinn. What do you think about that one? Yeah, uh, very uninspiring for a team that overall is very uninspiring. We talked about, uh, you know, that Brent Burns trade. It's very disappointing for them if you're a Sharks fan, that return. Um, so, yeah, Mike Greer, not not up to the finest of starts. I mean, David Quinn, uh, pretty unsuccessful coach in a stint with the Rangers. Did nothing to inspire anybody, really. Any sort of confidence in the guy and his coaching ability. And he's back. 
So, you know, if you're rebuilding, there are better coaches to be had or just better, like, lottery tickets to sign on to other than fucking David Quinn again. Yeah. You know, you know we've talked about, as a lot of people do, how oh, everyone's always recycling coaches and it's bad because you need to, you know, reach outside. And I don't have a problem with recycling coaches who have proven that they're they're good coaches. Um, like Barry Trotz and Bruce Cassidy, for example. It's these guys. It's guys like David Quinn, who had, you know, a stretch of time with the Rangers, was had no results to show for it, and has given another chance anyway, just out of the mere fact that he has NHL coaching experience. Um, I I see very little upside for this, even though the Sharks are you know, unless unless they're doing the Bedard tank. Which they might end up doing even accidentally, um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's the best case scenario for Sharks fans in this case, anyway, in the short term. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I don't think they expect much from the guy, but it's just like, yeah, it's just it's an opportunity cost at the end of the day. You know, you could have hired someone who maybe turns out great, um, but I cannot, don't see a, an inch of possibility uh, of that being the case with with David Quinn. Uh, and his uninspiring coaching ideas. So, yeah, you just you, even if you know, like, if this is definitely going to be a flop, he's going to get you know, replaced with a better coach when when they get better, whenever that is, probably in four to five years. Um, but you know, you're not giving yourself a shot at you know looking four or five years down the road and be like, oh, this guy turned out to be great. Let's keep him on. Maybe this is a, the coach we contend to contend with. Um, you, there's no chance you say that with David Quinn. Time for some guess who. That's what I say. Let's go. It's been a minute. All right. So we have five teams left that we have not guessed who for. And they were Chicago, Nashville, Islanders, Washington, and Winnipeg. And I figured, well, Chicago's been in the news the most out of those five this offseason. So let's go with them. So that's who we're going with. The miserable ECHL looking Chicago Blackhawks. These are the 25 names. And I think this is the first one also we're doing that's officially like next year's roster type thing. We got, oh, whoops. Uh, okay, we got Peter Mrazek, Alex Daylock. Those are the two goalies. Seth Jones, Connor Murphy, Jake McCabe, Caleb Jones, Riley Stillman, Alex Vlasic, Alex Regula, Ian Mitchell, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Max Domi, Andres Athanasiu, Tyler Johnson, Philip Kurashev, Sam Lafferty, Taylor Radish, Colin Blackwell, Jujar Kyra, Mackenzie Entwistle, Boris Kachuk, Reese Johnson, Lucas Reichel, and... Buddy Robinson. That's the list. Isn't that exciting? Very. My whole, my heart is palpitating, as they say. <laughs> um, Alrighty. So let's go. This we as as you mentioned, there are only a handful of teams left. And uh yeah, wait, could you repeat that list again real quick? Who's left? Oh oh of teams? I teams, thought you wanted me yeah. to read all the players again. Oh God no. uh, please never again. Nash- yeah. All right, Nashville Predators, New York Islanders, Washington Capitals, Winnipeg Jets. Those will be our final four. All right. Sounds good. Um, um, and, of course, okay. as the score stands, I have eight wins, Taisei has 12, and we have eight ties, which means if Taisei wins this match, then he has clinched the overall victory. And if we tie, then he has clinched at least a tie for himself. So I've really got to go on quite a run here. And it will start with a, a big W in this Chicago matchup. You know what? Uh, it, I think there's there's so many like right vibe answers because nobody you heard of nobody that exactly. uh uh-huh. you know what? 
Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. That's what we love to see and hear. Okay. I have randomized. I have also randomized. I will mute my incoming audio so that you can tell the listeners your player in three, two, one. Tyler Johnson. And I'm back. Okay. I will be muting in three, two, one. My player is Lucas Reichel. Okay. I am back. Who has right, a... So I think, I think because I'm the most recent winner, we tied a last one for Detroit, and before that I won for St. Louis. means that you have home guess advantage. So I, I guess first. Lovely. Please. Ask me your All question. Right. All right. Why don't I sort by number? See how... That, oh, this is actually quite interesting because of a fair amount of these players on Cap Friendly were listed as not having a number yet because they're new to the team. That's Morazic, Stalock, Athanas, E.U. Blackwell, and Buddy Robinson. So we got to be cognizant of how we ask these that type of question. So I will go first by asking, does your player have a number that is 52 or no no wait sorry. Does your player have a number that is forty-three or less? No. Okay. I am down to those who have a number that is higher than forty-three and those who don't have a number at all. Alright, sounds good. Um hmm. let's see, okay. Let's 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 roll the dice. Uh, was your player drafted in the first two rounds? Yes, my player was drafted in the first two rounds. Pretty nice. Already down to 11. Oh, yikes. You know what else is very striking about this group of players is how few Europeans there are. There are so many North Americans. Yeah, Um, that's true. So anyway, I am going to ask... Is your player from the United States? Uh, my player is from the United States. Okay, I'm at seven now. This is not going super well for me, okay. I have to say. All right. Music to my ears. Um, oh, that's okay. All, all the Canadians on this team are uh, that I have left are forwards. So Strange split. Uh, okay, we'll go with draft team. Was your player drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks? Yes, my player was drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks. Okay. Wow. It's like everything's breaking right uh, no. for me this round. I'm down to five. This is uh, a success. No. Go ahead. Was your player drafted in the top 115? Uh, hmm. My player was not drafted in the top 115. Oh, come on. We're down to four. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, man, I, I hope we're on a 4v2 situation. I sincerely hope so. Uh, hmm. Okay. We'll go with, uh, is your player Canadian? No, my player's not uh, Canadian. Boo. Boo, 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 boo. We're at 4v3. Is that the situation? 4v3, yes. Okay. 
So I've got to, I think the smart thing for me to do here is absolutely to wriggle it down to two because then I'll cross my fingers that you will guess incorrectly and then we'll be on even playing field, oh, which fine. I can live with at this point. Um, and therefore, I will ask, uh, is your player 29 or younger? My player is uh, not that. Okay, we got a couple. We got a 30-year-old and a 31-year-old. Who do you have left? Who are your, your final three? Okay, uh, just one second. I have uh, Patrick Kane, Lucas Reichel, and Alex Vlasic. Hmm. Certainly one of them uh, sticks out like a sore thumb. But I, but I would be picking a defenseman, which goes against my core values. Uh, but <laughs> I'll do it anyways. Is your player Alex Vlasic? No, my player is not Alex Vlasic. Tragic. Go ahead. All right. So you've got two players left now. I really do. down to the nitty gritty of things. The nitty gritty. Um, Correct. I've got Tyler Johnson and Buddy Robinson, who is notable for being signed like three days ago. Um, and it is for that reason that I think he stands out a bit too much. And I'm going to guess, is your player Tyler Johnson? Man, that sucks. I was, uh, I thought I had it when we were at 5v7, but it, it is indeed. Let's go. Tyler Johnson. What a comeback. Uh, I might still blow this in incredible fashion. Um, this hurts because I have Lucas Reichel, who is like one of the three non-North Americans on this team. And also, like, pretty no- we did like a whole like dive on him all the way back when, in like 2020 when he was drafted. Um, and But on the other hand, it's like Patrick fucking Kane. I don't feel like picking that shit right now. So uh, I'm going to go. Is your player Lucas Reichel? Yes, my player is Lucas oh. Reichel. Amen. Thank you. Is that did you strategically right. mention that European bit? No, I did not strategically mention that. I strategically mentioned what a comeback because I thought that was going to make you think I thought I had it in the bag. <laughs> what? I thought you were going to think, oh, Alex really thinks he's won. Uh, which means probably has Patrick Kane because he knows I won't guess Patrick Kane, oh. so maybe I should. That did that didn't even register in my brain, not for oh, okay. a second. Nice try though. Oh well. Anyway, this is, this is, I, I think I feel far. like I did recover. I recovered from the trenches on that one. I feel good to come out of that one with a tie. Well let's, done. Let's go after round two. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Okay. Do you have your new player? I do. All right. So do I. I will mute my incoming audio in three, two, one. Seth Jones. And I'm back. Okay. I'll be meeting in three, two, one. My player is Philip Kurashev. Okay. Let's go by last name. I don't think I've done a name one in a while. Um, does your player's last name begin with the letter K or earlier in the alphabet? Yes, my player's last name does begin with letter K or earlier in the alphabet. Okay. Good to know. That's a fun fact. Go ahead. Does your player shoot or catch left? Uh, my player... You said left? So, yeah, does your player shoot no. or catch left? No. All right. You love to see it because I'm down to 11. That's tragic. Tragic indeed. Uh, hmm. 
And I'm also only down to North Americans again. <laughs> no, no ranked shooting Europeans on this team. That's uh, funny. Okay. All right. Uh, is your player Canadian? Go with that. No, my player is not Canadian. No. Okay. What do we say? Are we saying Andreas Athanasiou is Canadian or just Greek or? Oh, I have him. I have him as Canadian. Okay. He's played for Canadian international teams, and I think he was born in Canada. Was he? That works. I uh, don't know, but uh, on Cap Friendly, there were both flags were listed, so okay. that was just I put, I put Canada. A point I would brought up. All right, go ahead. All right, hmm. let's let's sort by draft team. See if we can get anything spicy going from this this angle. Yeah, <laughs> not really. There's a massive <laughs> diversity Indeed. of draft team. Um, yeah, I can't even sit by like conference or anything because they're all in yeah, the West except for I try Sam Lafferty. I agree. Okay. I try to say it. it's brutal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay. Uh, I let's see. This this Canada USA is a nice split. Nope, not really. Way more Americans that shoot right on this team than Canadians. Uh, first name. Let's see what's up over here. This column. I guess you know can't really go wrong with that one most of the time let's ask if your player uh does your player's first name begin with letter i or earlier in the alphabet no all right so i'm down to six but i think it's a good six i feel okay with this six okay interesting um does your player shoot or catch left? Yes, my player just, does shoot or catch left. Or just shoot left. I should have just done that. I have all skaters. I don't have a goalie. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but okay, <laughs> left. All right, down to three. Oh. All right. It is time for me to now uh, wriggle down to three by asking. Um, all right, I don't want to split American. Okay, let me look. I'm looking at the players I have left. And. There are two of them that I think give incorrect vibes. So I'm trying to split them up from each other. Um, but, but So much strategy, but, man. But that is proving to be slightly difficult. Um, what, oh, here, here's what I'll do. Was your player drafted by a team that is not the Arizona Coyotes? <laughs> yes. My player was drafted by a team that is not the Arizona Coyotes. All right, so goodbye to the one Coyotes draft pick on here, and goodbye to the undrafted players on here. And I'm left with three players as well. Okay. Uh, I've got Patrick Kane. I've got Philip Kurashev. I've got Caleb Jones. Um, I'm looking at Kurashev and Jones uh, for obvious reasons. Um, Man, like... I hate picking defensemen. But then again, I'm faced with the same conundrum where it's like also a European again. So like if you get if you have Philip Kurashev, I will uh cry tears of sorrow. Um I don't know, man. It's tough. They both give like vague yeah, like correct vibes. I'll go with Kurashev. Is your player Philip Kurashev? Yeah, it is. Oh the snipe. Ah, I thought you were going to avoid the second European in a row. Ah, all right. This is this is a tough one for me. This is a real tough one. I've got Seth Jones, 
who I'm steering clear from. And I've got Sam Lafferty and Taylor Radish. Have you ever seen two players with such equal vibes than these two? Oh, God. Um, Taylor Radish acquired in a trade earlier this year. Once had promise, you know. It was like, oh, he's a goal scorer in junior. Sam Lafferty, bit of a late bloomer. Um, hmm. This is this is giving me those vibes to you know to when I was really on my dry spell in this game where everything I touched turned to mud. I'm getting the same feeling from this too, too, too sadly. Um, there's one that's calling my name a little bit more than the others, which is Lafferty. But my but that intuition has led me astray more times than it's been correct in the past. Um. Ah, uh, it's fuck it. I'm. Uh, is your player a Sam Lafferty? No, it's not. Oh, of course not. Um, uh, but was it radish? It was a radish. So they were they were equal okay. in more senses than uh, just your intuition. <laughs> they were both incorrect as the answer because okay. it was Seth Jones. Uh, <sighs> lucky me, I picked the superstar defenseman. So you've clinched tie right. overall now. Ah, look at that. Oh, Shit. what a great feeling. That was, it. that was the end for me. Oh. <laughs> the end? Come on, you could still salvage a tie. With a miracle comeback. Su- but the mir- by winning this round three and every subsequent game of this we ever play for the next four times. We ever play. As if it's <laughs> more than like four. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Stranger <sighs> things have happened. I, I would yeah. say, encouragingly. But, you know, I might just tie this one and it's over. So, who knows? We'll find out in 10 minutes. Okay. Definitely less than that. All right. Um, Do you have your your next player? I do have my next player. All right. So do I. I'll mute it. Audio in three, two, one. Alex Vlasic. And I'm back. All right. I am muting in three, two, one. I've got Alex Stalock. All right. We're back. You know what? I'm trying. I'm going. I'm. I'm trying a new strategy this time. All right. I'm gunning for it. The hell is that supposed for, to mean? All right. It means all my questions are if they hit, they hit hard, and if they whiff, they whiff hard. Why? How does that why, sound? Why would you undertake such a strategy? Because I think I'm, because I want to. Here we go. Uh, right. Is your player a forward? Uh, my player. Um, no, not not a forward. Already paying dividends. Get See, I told you. This is such pain. Down to man. ten. Oh, Down to fuck. ten. God, this this that's that's so alarming. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Woo! Let's see. I should have been doing this the whole time. God uh. damn it. Okay. I guess I'll try to match. Um. Ooh. Interesting by by first name. <sighs> So the first 10, 10 names alphabetically by first name are like not very notable. And the next like 15 are littered with notable names. So I'll go with that. Does your player's first name start with the letter uh, I or earlier in the alphabet? Yes, it does. I used Ooh. that exact same question last round. You did. It, was it to begin? I don't think it was to begin though, right? It was like later. No, it wasn't to begin. Okay. It was, I think, my second question. Anyway. Hmm. I'm down to ten. Does your player shoot right? Uh, my player does not shoot right. 
All right, that one didn't hit quite as hard. We're down to six. <laughs> back to where you were originally. Okay, this is yeah. Right, right back on track. Ooh, I got, I got okay. All right. Um, let's. But also, I do have two goalies, so like this does. I do feel quite good about this. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, let's let's split it. Why not? Uh, is your player a forward? No, my player is not Ooh. a forward. Okay. Should have started with that one. <laughs> Should have started with that one. Darn, as they say. Go ahead. All right. Uh, does your player have a number that is less than 65? Yes. I'm, I just realized as the question finished leaving my mouth how dumb of a question that was. <laughs> Because, why? oh man, that was so. Because I just got rid of both my goalies. That's why. Oh, the intrigue. Ah. <laughs> I'm starting to see why I'm why I lose often at this game. He's fumbled, the, he's fumbled the bag, as they say. I have, and I just have like three defensemen who are just like, <laughs> you know. Fucking Jake McCabe, Riley Stillman, and Alex Vlasic. That's that's what I got in front of me. Down to three, eh? Okay. Brutal. Um Okay. Uh, I'm so boned. See. I'm so boned. <laughs> what does this mean? Uh this is such a strange like split. Uh let's go by last name. Man, I do I because it's this is next year's roster. There's just like not much you can separate by, which is oh oh my god this is so good, this is so good. All right, does your first what well, does your player's names first? Does your player's first name uh, begin with the letters A L E? Oh, you're you're getting. Uh, make sure Alec Regula is in there. <laughs> exactly, gotta clinch it. Gotta clinch it. Yes. All right. Okay. Yes. Yes, my player's name does begin with A-L-E. Okay, so I have Alex, Alex, and Alec. Uh, All right. Fun trio. Go Wait, ahead. Who, who are the three of them? Uh, we have Alex Vlasic, Alex Stalock, and Stalock, and Alec Regula. No Alex Dabrinkit? No, no Alex Dabrinkit. Previously uh, crossed right. off. All right. Go ahead. I got Alex Vlasic, too. You know, fringe player, also in your final three. I got Jake McCabe, who's pretty good. The clear, you know, mid player here is Riley Stillman. So I guess I'll go with that one. Is your player Riley Stillman? No, it's not. It's not Riley Stillman. <sighs> Sigh. Okay. Well, it's really between Alex Vlasic and Alec Regula, because Alex Stalock just is not the vibe as a goalie. I don't think so. Um, is your player Alec Regula? No, my player is not Alec Regula. Okay. All right. All right. This is a bit of a conundrum here with Alex Vlasic right. here. Because... So, so hold up. Just so, are we currently in tie, ter- tie territory? So if you get it and I get it, it's a tie, right? Uh, yes. Okay. That is true. And therefore you would win. Okay. Alex Vlasic is really, you know, it all comes down to this guess for me, really. Um... 
man. Because if you, I I kind of feel like you avoided him like very quickly, which leads me to believe that he's your player. Because if he weren't, you'd been considering more strongly to guess him. So yeah, that's what I'll I'll, I'll ask. Is your player Alex Vlasic? This is Alex Vlasic. Yes. Which leaves me with a weird conundrum too, because now I have Alex Vlasic and Alex Stalock. <laughs> Do I just guess my player? Do I guess the goalie? Like, man. Like, uh, I'm inclined to pick the goalie because the, the odds that we have the same player are just lower because there are two goalies and only one player is mine every round. Um, they're both Alex. So, I, you know, honestly, I should have just started with that question off the top of the round. But, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's beyond the point now. Um, yeah, I guess I'll play the odds if you can even call them that. I'll, I'll fucking commit a crime against humanity by picking a goalie. Um, not last. Uh, is your player Alex Stalock? I wish he wasn't, but he is. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no. Oh! Wow. The one time. The one no, time. No, oh, so, God. That hurts me so bad. <laughs> the only reason... The only reason you picked the goalie is because... The other player was your player. <laughs> what are the odds of that happening? Oh, come on. Impossible. Man, this is this is the only way you could have gotten me to pick Alex Daylock. Oh, I wish oh, I so <laughs> wish we both had Alex of Lasik, and that's what tripped you up and made you pick the goalie. And oh. it was like jokes on you. We both and have then, Alex of Lasik. And then I would have proceeded to choke the next floor as I was in shambles, unable to recover <laughs> from such a blunder. Yeah, well. Instead, the Chicago round of July 26 bends in Taisei's favor, meaning, congratulations, you've officially clinched uh, the first ever of X amount. Uh, X amount. Two yeah. tournaments <laughs> dating yep. all the way back. For anyone who might not know, we've been doing uh, one team. We, you know, say it once every three weeks we play Gasu, but obviously at the busier times of year, uh, we don't. The first time we did this was May 31st, 2020. And we have consistently been doing these once every three weeks or so. And now over two years later, we have gone through almost the entire league. Uh, we have gone through, what is it now, 28 teams? Yeah. That makes sense? That's right. That Wait, makes sense. Or yeah, I feel like I feel like my numbers are wrong. Then my number uh-huh. because I have I have it listed as thirteen wins for you, eight wins for me, and eight ties, which brings us to twenty nine teams. Um, I feel like we did the Islanders. Like in my list, they're blacked off. Oh yes, we did. We did. Okay. I forgot to. That's absolutely correct. So Nashville, Washington, and Winnipeg. That's all that's left. Okay, so we've done twenty nine teams. And uh, yeah, it's fun fun marathon. I think obviously we're gonna wrap up with these three, get a get a final score. Maybe I can make it thirteen eleven or something if I'm extremely lucky, and skilled and talented. Um, and then we'll start from scratch. Should we go in the exact same order we went in the first time? <laughs> we could, we could. I and it would be, it'll, here's the yeah. order. it was Mon- Montreal, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, Dallas. That was in the 2020 Stanley Cup final, Tampa Bay, then Dallas. Florida, Edmonton, New Jersey, Calgary, Carolina, Rangers, 
Ottawa, Toronto, Vegas, Columbus, Arizona, Vancouver, Buffalo, Colorado, Anaheim. Now we're into 2022. San Jose, Los Angeles, Boston, Seattle, the Islanders, St. Louis, Detroit, Chicago, and the final three. Yeah, which or order TBD. Um, but this way, I guess we get the maximum variance uh, between rosters of like the same team is the way to go. Exactly. Yeah. We go back to what the Montreal roster looked like May 31st, uh, 2020. It's night and day. It's a whole different team, whole different organization. So, yeah. There we go. That's, I think we, do we want to say we tr- wanted to try out like vibes? Guess who? Oh, that was what I, I came across a video on YouTube. It wasn't sports related, but it was basically two people play Guess Who based on just like guesses about the faces, personalities. And it was stuff like, Oh, does your person, I don't know, have a cat or stuff like that? And uh, and the it was kind of like you're working in tandem in a way because if it gets to the end and you actually got the person right, then like you know you both celebrate. I don't know how well that works for hockey when it's like, you know, when they're real people, right? Um, but uh, I mean, we could maybe try to work some kind of concept out about it. Sure, it's possible. In uh, let's see, let's let's assume we do it once every three weeks in uh, twelve weeks or so. Perhaps we'll have an exhibition match. Um, yeah, well, we'll try it out. Sure, it's a it's, it's a concept. Um, yes, so far. a prototype, so to speak, if you will, if you may. All right. Well, uh, I think that's that's it for this week's episode of Fusion Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week. Maybe on Monday or Tuesday. We'll see. And uh, I am guessing that we are approaching the part of the offseason where the episodes may get shorter. But if there's a Kadri signing or a Klingberg signing, maybe not. We'll see. And uh, it will also be, of course, the return of our draft segment. So that's something to look forward to. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Alex's New Handle and at Taisefu. And you can... Uh, uh, eat some fruits and vegetables. The end. <laughs> <laughs>